Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We have been preaching through the first book of Samuel, but today I want to just do something different and go in a different direction as we think about the floods and think about uh, what's been happening over the last probably week or so. And uh, it probably started last Saturday morning for me, even though the rains prior to that were coming. Um, I downloaded the Vic emergency app. I got one there, right? Thanks, Ross. Just excuse me for two seconds, okay? Hopefully that helps. Let's see how it goes. Uh, so last Saturday morning I, I downloaded the Vic Emergency app, which I'm sure some other people did, and the first notification I received last Saturday morning was, prepare to evacuate Marupna, uh, imminent danger of major flooding. I thought, ooh, what the heck's going on here? Well, I knew what was happening. But... And then another message came when you download that app, because it comes about every 30 seconds, a notification comes, like another street's flooded, another street's flooded. Uh, and the next one amongst the 50 or 60 messages came was, it's now too late to leave, stay on your home and don't drive through floodwaters. Uh, major disasters, they unsettle us, don't they? You sort of get those notifications coming through and you hear the media reports going on and it unsettles us. In a way, it, they have this ability to, to render us uh, powerless and helpless in those situations when it's like that. A, a flood crisis like we've just had, sort of, we've just experienced, puts us into this like a no man's land position or like a twilight zone sort of thing. You're just not sure what to do or, or what to do next or you know, what you should be, uh, have done previous. And you prepare for flooding and then you sort of just wait. You wait to see what happens and you wait to see where the water's going to go. You wait to see what happens next. It can be very unsettling for us. So in the light of God who's created everything and sovereignly controls everything, I just want us to think about this morning about well, how are we to make, uh, think about natural disasters like this that has taken place over the past seven days. How would you think about that? So today, help us doing that. I want to go to Romans chapter 8. If you guys could just go there, that would be super helpful. Romans chapter 8, we're going to read just a few verses from 18 through to 28 to begin to help us understand here uh, what's happening uh, through the world that we see it as around about us now. Starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We wait for it with patience. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Father, thank you that we can come and gather this morning. Thank you for your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that as you've inspired the, the, uh, the Apostle Paul to write this word, that you would uh, unveil this word in our hearts now and you would give us solid foundations to build our lives upon as we think about natural disasters, as we think about floods. Help us to see this with the eyes of our heart. Help us to grow in our faith through this, Lord, and to worship you uh, as we understand who you are and what you've done. Uh, Lord, we ask that we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I did. I, uh, as we couldn't have this room because it was being used as an emergency response centre, we were graciously given Golden Valley Christian Fellowship to um, use there. Went up there last week and I unloaded the seats as I took the trailer up there. Then I heard the news that the causeway, my good friend Steve, rang me and said, I think the causeway is going to be closed in the next half hour. I'm thinking, well, I'm in Chep and I need to sort of get back home. And I thought, surely not. They're not going to close the causeway. My lifetime of 56 years or whatever it is, it's never been closed. Surely they won't close the causeway. Again, as we've been seeing social and news media that's been circulating the footage of houses and properties being engulfed by rapidly rising rivers, towns like Seymour, we'd seen that, and Murchison, uh, were hit hard. And all this was sort of happening in my mind. I'm thinking, surely this wouldn't happen in Shepherd and Ruben. I mean, I did experience it back in 1974 when I was about eight years old, but surely not. But it surely did. Uh, the very couple of days later, uh, we were walking up the main street of Maripa, which I was told lately not meant to walk through flood water, but anyway, we walked up the main street of Maripna and we had water above our knees. We walked past shops and there's water flowing through shops that I've been through hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times, and there's water in there like a foot deep in these shops. I remember looking at the news reports and seeing the shock and the disbelief on people's faces uh, as people were devastated here by the rising floodwaters flowing through their house. There's still some houses in Ripon with probably over half a metre in the house still today. They're trying to pump out some of these streets even right now. And it's like the people were groaning, as it were, in despair and sadness as they see this unfold around about us in various ways. So what are we to make of this despair and sadness that we see so devastatingly real around about us? What are we to think about this? What is God doing through a flood event like this? How are we to process this that is happening in this time of crisis for us right now? I want us to explore that today and here's where we're going to go. We, along with creation, groan. We groan under the futility and the brokenness of this world. But believers in Christ groan with confident hope. Confident hope, eagerly looking to full restoration in our lives. So Romans, where we read from, is a wonderful and a powerful explanation of the gospel. It's probably the most comprehensive explanation of the good news of what God has done for us in Christ to save us, to rescue us and to transform us. Paul in Romans gives us this depth of understanding here that really helps to build deeply anchored foundations in our lives that no flood can wash away. 
You read through Romans and you actually get that built there into your lives as you grasp that and see what's happening here. Paul starts off in Romans talking about the, the problem with mankind and then he moves to God's solution in saving and rescuing us and then he moves on to application of how that looks in our lives. In this particular passage here, Paul is linking here suffering with glory. Suffering in this world with future glory. And this really speaks right into where we are today and what we've experienced in these last seven days. And people like Inichuka are experiencing it right now. Firstly, as we jump into this, verse 17 sets the scene here for where Paul is going. He says there, uh, we are heirs of God, provided we suffer with him, that we also will be glorified with him. Verse 17 begins to set up this next passage where Paul is going to. And if you have a look in verse 22 here, in that next passage, you'll see the word groaning. Groaning. Verse 22 says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Well, groaning is certainly linked with suffering, isn't it? If you've seen somebody hurt really badly, sometimes that's all they can do is just groan. That's the only noise, that's the only sort of visible or audible noise that comes from them. They're groaning in this suffering. Well, what does Paul mean here when he says creation's groaning? We know what it's like when we're hurt and we're groaning, but what does Paul mean when he says creation is groaning? Well, I think verse 20 gives us the answer to what Paul means in verse 22. Verse 20 says this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So, Creation or the created world as we know it includes all of our physical surroundings. Mountains, animals, trees, flowers, oceans, weather and of course rivers. That's part of the creation that is around about us. And this creation here it says has been subjected to futility or being useless or frustrating or futile. It's been subjected to that. Which doesn't mean this creation around about us is totally useless in every possible way, because there are certainly lots of good elements of life that are good for us, but sometimes these elements of creation around about us do become useless and futile and even destructive for us. They're subjected to futility. God is the one who has subjected creation to futility and caused them to be Futile or useless for us at times. It says there, because of him who subjected it. God has subjected creation to futility. Why has God done that? Why has God subjected this world to a futile state? A state where sometimes it's destructive and it's useless for us in its ways. Well, I think what Paul's thinking about when he says this here that him who subjected it. Paul's actually going back to the book of Genesis and understanding where all of this world's problems come from. He's going back to when Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden. God created uh, the garden of Eden, placed Adam and Eve in there and said, one tree, there's one tree in the whole garden you cannot eat from. The rest of the garden is all yours. You can enjoy that and you can enjoy my goodness, but there's one tree you cannot eat from. And we know the story. Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent, Satan, And they ate of that one tree. God comes in and finds them and then begins to announce his judgment upon the world because of their disobedience before him. And he says this in Genesis chapter 3, 17, 19, speaking to Adam. He says, 
Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed. Take note of that word there. Really important. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall not and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Really important word in that verse there is the word cursed. Because of Adam's sin against God, God has judged the world we live in now with a curse. In other words, subjected it to futility. Adam's dis- Adam disordered God's creation. He broke the order of God's creation. So now God ordains that this disorder that Adam introduced will actually flow into every element of creation. Every element of creation will now feel this disorder that Adam introduced by rebelling against God and going against his order. And why does God do this? God does this disordering to remind Adam of exactly what sin does. It disorders everything. So whenever Adam puts his hand to do something and he gets this sense of frustration or futility or difficulty or this seems useless, it reminds him again of what sin has done. It's disordered everything. Adam plants some tomatoes. We all plant some tomatoes. And what happens? Up come the weeds with the tomatoes. And what happens? The weeds grow quicker than the tomato plants, don't they? That's what happens. This is part of this futility. This is part of this subjection. What does God do? God gives us rivers to water our tomatoes. We need that. God gives us rivers to sustain life as well. But then those same rivers cause destruction. They're subjected to futility through flooding. Our local Golden River here, which is only just a few hundred metres away from us, is generally a very peaceful place to be. People do their fishing there. People go and relax. People go and swim and they enjoy, as it were, the pleasant quietness of the water. I've done that myself plenty of times both swimming and a little bit of fishing, but sometimes I'll just take a book and sit by the river and just enjoy the river, just enjoy God's creation going by. But over the last week or so, the river's been anything but peaceful and pleasant. The river's actually been this swirling torrent that it's actually, if you go on the causeway, you can see it just racing through under those bridges, just knocking over everything in its path, basically, causing all sorts of destruction. Wildlife have been destroyed. On the other day, there was numbers of kangaroos that had been killed on the causeway as cars were going through as they all tried to escape um, the, the floodwaters. It's going through houses. And unfortunately, some people have even been killed in these floodwaters. These rivers are causing destruction at this particular point in time. This is the effects of God's curse. This is the effects of God's judgment upon the world. It, it's like the river is groaning. It's like the river is heaving against its will as the pain is felt through its power as it causes destruction. I'm not saying the river has a life of its own, but it's like it's groaning and it's heaving as this destruction has been caused around about us. Now we feel that pain and we actually groan too in a similar way. Have a look in verse 23 where Paul says this, and not only the creation, it's subjected to this curse, it's groaning, it's heaving, But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly, we groan inwardly, 
as we wait. We groan. We've felt this same pain over the last week. Some of us have experienced it firsthand with, and acutely with the loss of property. Uh, for those of you who are aware, Jeff and Chris Adams have had water actually get into the house and now they're pulling some carpet up to take it out. So it's getting in and doing damage there. So acutely they've felt that loss. Others more so with, like I said, still a half a metre of water in some houses in Rupna. And others of us, we've looked on and, and been dry, but we've actually sort of empathised with them and felt that same pain. We've sort of grown inwardly as well as we've seen that take place. We groan and we grieve this disorder that we see. Why is the river so peaceful and wonderful one day and the next it's causing destruction and it's causing pain? What's happening here? God is reminding us that sin, that sin against him has broken into this world and sin disorders everything. Sin breaks down everything. Rebelling against God even corrupts peaceful rivers to remind us again that everything is broken. Everything is broken. Creation along with us groan as we feel and experience here the disorder of sin, the distortion of this world through mankind's rebellion. We cry, we feel sad, we feel sick, we feel loss, we feel confusion and maybe some of us even get angry as this happens around about us. This is reminding us again that we live in this broken and disordered world. This groaning, though, that God has subjected us to isn't without remedy. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that God's given to us through Jesus. God, in his grace, throws us a lifeline here. Despite our sins only deserving his judgment, God, in his gracious, loving mercy, as it were, throws us a lifeline to rescue us from that. Now, we can groan in two ways when it comes to still living in this now and not yet kingdom as we're experiencing God's brokenness. We can groan in two ways. We can groan with hope or we can groan without hope. And what Romans is all about here is all about the hope of the gospel where Jesus has died on the cross. He has rescued us from our sinfulness and he's made a way possible for us to be reunited with God. And trusting in him, we know that we can actually groan in this hope in the middle of this suffering, in the middle of this challenge, even in a flood situation. Have a look at what Paul writes here for us in verse 23-24 again. He says this, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, for in this hope, Paul says, we were saved. What's Paul saying here? He's saying this. We live in a world still feeling the weight of sin's disorder through all manner of brokenness, despite us being rescued and saved by Christ, which is a wonderful gift, but we still live in this disordered creation, feeling all of its pain. And how will it come? It will come to us in a thousand different ways. Most vividly the last seven days, this brokenness has come to us in floods. But it will come through death, it will come through sickness, it will come through a whole range of Uh, ways in your life where you'll feel this disordering of this life, this suffering. But here's the hope, Paul says. Here's the hope. Through this disorder, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters and for the full restoration of our bodies. This is the hope that Christ has saved us in. This is this future glory. 
We don't have it now in fullness, but we have this hope firmly fixed in our minds that sustains us and carries us through where we are today and whatever we might be facing now. Now, it is a future hope. It is a future glory that he's talking about, but it's also a present experience that he's given to us too. Have a look in verse 23 here. It says there, the first fruits of the Spirit. It's God's Spirit living and dwelling within us at conversion, at salvation, that actually builds this confident assurance of Christ in the middle of challenge, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of floods even. He reassures us of this hope that eternally I'm rescued, I'm saved. It's future glory, but it's presently experienced as a first fruits, as a first taste of what is to come. Now, here's the point of what Paul's actually trying to communicate to us through this passage here, experiencing the disorder of this world. And if we can get what Paul is saying here, if we can actually lodge this in our minds, here, thinking about creation, thinking about groaning, as we experience all manner of suffering, particularly even during floods, if we can get what Paul's saying here, we'll actually build this unbelievable foundation in our lives as solid as a rock that not even a flood can push away or move us from. If we can get what Paul's saying here, this builds us mighty foundations. It won't matter what comes our way in life. If we understand what Paul's saying here, he will anchor us firmly so nothing will shift us. It's the presence of God's Spirit uh, in reinforcing to us the confident hope of future glory that will carry us through. The presence of God's Spirit just reassuring us of the hope of future glory that God has for us that will be the anchor that carries us through whatever we face. Have a look at what Paul says here in verse 18. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're real, of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's got this comparison going on here. He's got sufferings and he's got future glory. It's not worth comparing to. Have a look at this next one here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This really uh, lays it out really, really clear for us here. Look at this. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Maybe through floods we're being wasted away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. That's meant to mess with your heads in many ways. It takes faith to understand what's happening there and faith to believe what's going on there. If you grab that scripture, you actually just grabbed a bar of solid gold. If you go through that, phrase by phrase, line by line, and see what Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in other words, God's word for us, that is gold. That is pure gold to actually build massive foundations in our life. Floods are real. But they're a light, momentary affliction. 
how, Paul? Well, Paul says you've got to compare this with the future glory that's coming. And if you could just get a glimpse of that future glory, you would say, this is a light momentary affliction. The eyes of faith need to appropriate that. Floods are real. Floods are painful. But these floods are transient. They will pass away. In a few weeks' time, things will dry out and somewhat back to normal. They are transient. But the present unseen glory of Jesus Christ is eternal. That will never pass away. That will never fade away. These are deep, deep anchors here. Friends, if we can just get our minds to grab these passages, pray that God's Spirit will bring them alive in our hearts and let faith arise, you will feel the assurance of Christ and the hope of glory surging through your soul. And it will take a lot of faith to do that, but as you begin to think and reflect and meditate upon that, it builds this confident assurance of who Christ is and what he's done for us, despite what's taken place in the natural around about us. This is faith-building stuff. Don't get me wrong here about floods, though. They are real, they are painful. The devastation and destruction are an experience of grief and loss that is felt deeply. It is felt deeply. Floods will knock us off balance for a while. Don't be surprised when it comes that you, your head's in a spin to some extent. What's, what's happening here, and particularly as you're in the street and you're seeing the water just creep up your street and thinking, is it going to come into my house? It'll put your head in a spin. It really will. Because we're nat- naturally we are weak and utterly dependent on God for everything. So don't be surprised if it knocks you off balance like that. And it may even get into your house and seep into your carpets and move from room to room to room. It may do that. But the Holy Spirit says, that's okay. This present suffering is no comparison to the future glory that awaits you in Jesus Christ. Get that vision, the Spirit would say. And it brings brings things back into perspective. Then as you call that to mind, with all the faith that you can muster, you'll feel the the beautiful presence and the peace of God actually just anchoring you, holding you so you don't lose your mind and just get overwhelmed by the current circumstances. Look at how Paul calls us to this hope here in verse 23. He says this, uh, groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul's actually trying to communicate something here to us in this eagerness, eagerly awaiting for this redemption, this adoption. It's a bit like someone who's waiting at the airport for a loved one to come home from the war zone. It could be a father, it could be a brother, it could be anybody. And, you know, they're in the crowd and they're standing on tippy toes. They haven't seen this person for maybe six months or however long the tour of duty's been. And they're eagerly expecting, they're dreaming about it, they're looking forward to it. They're actually thinking about this day when they're going to see that. This is the eagerness that Paul wants us to have that actually grows this future glory, this future hope in our hearts, this eager expectation that Jesus has called us to. That's the hope that strengthens us and strengthens our hearts to be able to face anything in this world. Eagerly looking, eagerly looking for that hope. So what is God doing through a flood for us? God uses floods to remind us again we live in a broken world. A world that lies under his curse because of mankind's sin. It's another very vivid reminder we live in a broken world. 
God uses floods to wean us off this world, as it were, when we allow the world to grab too much of our heart. God will actually send a message to us again saying, there is no lasting hope in this world. You're building hope in your beautiful home and your lovely garden. Well, then a flood comes through and destroys your garden and washes out your home. It's a reminder from God saying, there is no lasting hope in this world other than him. God uses those things to actually remind us again because we get so settled sometimes in this world. We think this is it. I'm going to make my life here. No, no, it's transient. And God uses the flood to remind us again that's what's happening. What does God ask of those who are outside of Christ? Or what does God say to those outside of a Christ when a flood happens? For those who don't have this understanding here, what is God saying there? Well, God also actually holds out hope for them too, for forgiveness of sins, they too could come in to be adopted as his sons and daughters. God actually asked these people to repent, to change their mind about who God is. There's a beautiful passage here when Jesus is spoken to about a natural disaster or a disaster in his time. He says this in Luke chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, says Jesus, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Look at this next verse. All those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? You could put in there floods, like a disaster. That's a disaster in their day. That's a disaster for us now. Floods. Do you think they were sinners because you know, God picked on them because that's why he sent the flood there? You know, Jesus, what's your response to that? Well, here's Jesus' response. No, in verse 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, you might think, that's a hard word, Todd. Are you going to tell that to people right in the middle of a flood crisis? I'll get to it in a minute, but the message is the same. God wants people to change their mind about who he is. God, it's not God's will for people to be killed. It's not God's will for people to be destroyed and go through this destruction. God's will is for people to find love and life and salvation in him. God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. The Bible tells us that. What will God do? He will use a flood crisis like this to open up people's eyes. He'll use a flood crisis like this to cause them to look up and say, what's wrong with this world? Why do we experience this? That's what God does, particularly in the Western culture, because we are so surrounded by comfort and affluence and ease. So how do we respond in a crisis here like a flood? Well, we deepen our hold on Christ and we do that by growing our hope in future glory. We keep looking to that future glory and that anchors us in the present, in the here and now. We grow our faith and our trust in Christ no matter what we are facing. And what does Jesus do? He delivers us that grace to stand in those difficult times. Sure, we might get knocked off balance a bit, but our feet are anchored in Christ and we don't fall over. 
Alongside that, what do we do for those around about us? The message is repentance, but before we get there, we do this. We reach out to those who are hurting in this time, and initially we just simply do this. How can I help you? What can I do to love you? What can I do as you experience this pain? How can I sort of empathise with you for what you're going through? What is that? That is a practical demonstration of love that God calls us to, to love our neighbour as ourselves. And what does that do? It builds up, I guess, some relational capital somewhere down the track where you might be able to bring that conversation to Christ somewhere further down the track. So what do we do initially? We love. We love. We love. We love. And we keep loving people through the midst of this pain. We keep helping them in every possible way that we can. That's the first step. And alongside offering this genuine help to Bill through loving them, we pray. We pray that God would use this time to open up their eyes, to open up their minds, to see who Jesus is. That they would look up and say, why has this world got floods? Why has my house been partially destroyed? We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray that God will use this to open up people's hearts and minds. It's not the wise approach to come with a message of repentance today if somebody's got water in their house. That's not going to go anywhere at this particular time. In the heat of the moment, everything's too raw. There's too much pain there to bring that there. They may ask you in the moment, yes, if they do that, by all means, very carefully and sensitively and graciously talk about that. But other than that, we're actually loving and praying. We're looking for the opportunity down the track when the heat of the moment somewhat subsided and there's a better space to do that. That's ultimately what we want to get to. And that is the same message that we actually want to give to them is the message of repentance, changing your mind about who God is. God uses floods to do that. Let me close here with this promise now that God so clearly gives to us. It's a very powerful and precious promise in floods. It says this in Romans chapter 8, further down, in verses 38, 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, you could put in there floods, cyclones, whatever you want, nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, if you can get into that, you can build your life on serious foundations. It'll take you through anything in life. Nothing in Christ will separate us from his love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we can gather, Lord, in a time where the city and the region and other cities and other regions are still uh, reeling from the devastation and the shock and the pain from what's taken place. Lord, we know and we understand that you have subjected this world to futility. Lord, it is your judgment upon this world because of mankind's sin. God, we thank you and we praise you that you have not left us in judgment, but in grace and in mercy you've given us uh, salvation through your Son. And gloriously through that salvation today you give us this hope that we can groan in confident hope. We still feel the weight of sin, we still feel the effects of this broken world, but we groan with a confident hope. Please help us today, Lord, 
to groan, to empathise with those around about us, to let our emotions feel the devastation of sin via the devastation of floods. But help us to groan with hope. Lord, for those who don't have that hope, I pray, please help us to love and to love and to love and to love these people. Help us to simply reach out to our neighbours and say, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help? And may we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take and use that to awaken people's hearts and minds to the gospel message, to the truth of who Christ is, that they too would be able to groan with confident hope in you. Father, we pray for our emergency services. We pray for the city council and the same happening in Echuca today as well. Uh, All these people, Lord, trying to uh, organise either rescues or help and support for people. God, we pray, please grant them your wisdom that they would make wise decisions as we go through this time. Help us to be a city and a community that bands together, Lord, to see uh, your name lifted up and glorified amongst us. Father, today we do ask and we do pray that now in your name, Jesus. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.